Welcome to Javinity Connecting the Dots on Unchained TV for everything from plant-based eats, animal rights, food justice, and environmentalism news. I'm Nivi Jaswal, your host and the founder of Javinity and the Versa Foundation, where we focus on matters of public health, planetary health, and intersectional veganism. Today's discussion is all about nutrition science and veganism, so please stick around if you're trying to eat healthy and don't know where to start because... Um, Dr. Shireen Kassam and Dr. Um, Zara Kassam, they have all the answers for you. They're my fabulous panelists um, today. Shireen and Zara, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. You're most welcome and thank you. Um, Shireen, my first question is for you, so let's jump right in. You're a consultant hematologist at King's College Hospital in London. And my question to you is, um, tell us about your work and practice in the UK before we deep dive into the fabulous book you guys have written together. Hey, thank you for asking, Nibby. Yeah, so I do quite a few things here in the UK. So I guess my conventional everyday job is um, working at King's College Hospital as a haematologist. So um, working with patients and blood disorders, um, looking down the microscope and, and also treating patients with a type of cancer called lymphoma. Um, so I bridge the gap between sort of clinical and laboratory practice. Um, but as you as you well know, I also have a, a, another life of um, promoting and educating people on healthy plant-based diets. Um, I do that at Winchester University, where I teach the UK's only course on um, plant-based nutrition aimed at health professionals and CPD accredited by the Lifestyle Medicine Societies in, in the UK and the US. Um, and then um, I also am founder of Plant-Based Health Professionals UK, which is a community interest company and a membership organization of healthcare professionals and the general public providing evidence-based education and advocacy on healthy plant-based diets as a mean of, means of preventing and treat, treating chronic disease. And that's then led on to launching an actual lifestyle medicine service here in the UK with my friend, colleague, um, and co-founder, Dr. Laura Freeman, and that's called Plant-Based Health Online. So people can access a plant-based health professional to improve their health, prevent chronic disease, and basically thrive on plant-based nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Yeah, wow, this is just awesome. And and I do know about um, plant-based health uh, care online uh, that you mentioned you started with Dr. Freeman. Um, how's that taken off in, in the UK? And, and is it possible for people outside of the UK to also participate and um, get your consultation? Yes, for sure. So slow and steady, like with any <laughs> new venture, um, but it's had a really good um, response and we've um, uh, supported a lot of people one to one and also in group consultations to um, improve their health and well-being. And we've had some great feedback. So, in, yes, it's available UK wide because it's an online platform. And then our nutritionists and dietitians can see people outside of the UK as well, um, although we're not currently covering um, US and Canada because you have an amazing organization called plant-based telehealth and there's no reason to compete and um, there's the rest of the world to mop up in the meantime. <laughs> All right that sounds great. All right Zara my next question uh, is for you. Um, tell us about your work and practice in Canada. So I, I trained in the UK but uh, came over to Canada for a fellowship in 2004 uh, for for one year, but uh, it's now 2021, so it uh, morphed into more than that. Um, I did my fellowship at Princess Margaret Hospital, and 
Um, then we, my husband and I decided to stay. I'm a radiation oncologist. I specialize in radiation treatment for patients who have breast cancer and gastrointestinal cancers. Um, and I practice in a regional cancer center in Ontario. Um, so that's my conventional life. And then um, inspired by Shireen, uh, I co-founded Plant-Based Canada with my very good friend and colleague, Michelle Fideli, who is a plant-based dietitian at the cancer center that I work. And uh, Shireen had uh, put on her first conference in the UK on plant-based nutrition for health. And I had come over to, to visit, to support her and to be at the conference. And I was just blown away. So I asked her, I asked Shireen if she would help me put on a similar conference in Canada, because just like in the UK at that time, in Canada, there seemed to be a gap uh, here in Canada on, um, you know, knowledge of plant-based nutrition and how it really is uh, very health promoting, the healthiest diet you could be on and the healthiest diet for the planet. And although in Canada, we're so close to the US, there are a number of wonderful plant-based nutrition conferences in the US, you do actually have to go to the US to access them. Some of them are not available to the public uh, and they are, they're pricey. So we wanted to have that piece in Canada. We wanted to provide educational activities that were accessible to the public and to health professionals. Um, and so that's how Plant-Based Canada came about. Right. And are you open to the public? Anyone can attend? It doesn't have to be only healthcare professionals in Canada? Absolutely. Just like Shireen's conferences in the UK, uh, it was it's for everybody. And um, we don't we don't dumb it down. We provide very evidence-based um, education. We have our yearly conference. We have our Plant-Based Canada podcast. And we say yes to anybody who invites us to speak about our favorite topic. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, on Unchained TV, our favorite, favorite topic is really talking about plant-based nutrition and how it can, um, you know, have an awesome impact on our health and on, on the planet and, and obviously on all the sentient beings on the planet. You know, there are just so many reasons uh, to choose plant-based at this point in time, and especially in the aftermath of uh, COP26, right, um, it, which has been less than encouraging, you know, in terms of whatever has transpired. But I know that with, um, you know, amazing efforts uh, on the part of um, plant-based uh, professionals and lifestyle medicine professionals such as yourselves, um, you know, where transformation of the world is probably closer, you know, than, than we think. I just try to be optimistic. But let me ask you, um, there is always, uh, you know, a point in time and, and people never tire of telling that story about and then the pin dropped for me and I know I had to go plant-based because this was the right thing for me to do. So, so Shireen, um, what sparked your interest? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, it's always interesting to look back, isn't it? I, I'd been vegetarian since 2001. I decided I didn't want to eat animals any longer. Um, I never really liked the taste, so it wasn't a big deal, but I carried on in a rather unconscious way consuming eggs and dairy. Um, and it took rather a long time till 2013 um, when myself, my sister Leila, and of course Zara were having these sort of recurrent conversations about um, the egg and dairy industry and the more we learned um, the less we liked what we learned 
and it no longer sat comfortably with our ethical and moral, moral standpoint. So I became vegan for the ethical reasons, August 2013. You don't really forget when it happened. Um, and that led to um, further discovery of how to eat well, because I hadn't really, you know, you don't have to think so much when you're vegetarian about how to um, live well, eat well uh, in a nutritious way. Um, and, you know, even sort of eight, nine years ago, the vegan food landscape was slightly different from, from now and it wasn't so easily accessible. So it was that discovery from my own personal um, health and knowledge that led to this kind of, you know, um, <laughs> uh, uh, a wealth of information that was out there just ready to be, um, you know, absorbed. Um, and I was getting most of my education out of the US at the time. You know, we, we all know the great pioneers um, uh, like Neil Barnard and Dean Ornish and so forth. And of course, Brenda Davis in Canada. Um, so, you know, um, took up all those books and original papers, the documentaries, and then the rest is history, as it were. I thought, well, I can't keep quiet about this any longer. The UK needs to hear it too. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's one of those things, you know, you see it, you can't unsee it. And um, and, and Zara, so uh, how was the journey for you? When was it? And was it also August of, uh, you know, when Shireen uh, changed her dietary habits? How, how did um, this thinking within the family impact you? Yeah, absolutely. My my story really mirrors Shireen's. I'd been vegetarian for many years. And then it was that year, 2013, that, you know, we're an incredibly close family. We speak regularly. We know what each other is doing. And so Shireen, Layla and I had been talking about this and gradually evolving in our thinking. And then absolutely, it was the same time, 2013, that we all became vegan together. And it's so wonderful to have that support. Many people don't have that support and are doing it alone, which is not um, not so nice. Um, so that that piece was there. And as Shireen said, that, that blew open this whole world of plant-based nutrition for health. And given our professions, that we really felt that that was somewhere we could contribute. Um, Right. So, and, and given that, you know, even though you're in the same family, obviously, but you're in two different continents and, and the consciousness around veganism is very different. You know, like the UK is uh, ways ahead, light years ahead of the US at this point, you know, um, uh, about like, I'm really curious to know when you decided, um, what were the initial challenges that each of you faced, um, you know, in order to start eating this way? Um, and in, in your respective countries, Shirin? Um, I guess on a personal level and sort of eating at home and what have you wasn't that big a deal because, you know, our traditional South Asian diets are so easily adaptable. My husband loves curries too, despite being, you know, British from Kent. Um, and so, you know, that sort of ad adaptation at home really wasn't a big deal. And, you know, we're so fortunate that our parents um, support all our decision making without question. And so, you know, even family meals were, were straightforward. So I guess um, at the time it was a bit more difficult when eating out or, you know, being on the run and not having something with you for snacks. Um, and, you know, and then talking amongst my colleagues and um, uh, health professionals at work and and um, explaining my choices and why it is 
you know the best approach for human and planetary health and of course the animals so it was more those sort of conversations with others that were the more challenging and then being out and about um, vegan um, because you know the motto of every vegan is always be prepared but you have to learn that for yourself right <laughs> Absolutely. Zara, what about you? In, in Canada, you know, where you live, how, how did you navigate the culinary environment? Yeah, I mean, individually, as Shireen said, it, it was easy. You made the decision, it's done. Yeah. That's the way you're going. Um, it, my my husband was not vegan. He's Iranian. And uh, they, you know, I don't think his family didn't really understand the word vegetarianism or veganism. So I did have that to navigate and, and my, my daughter at the time was um, about five. So she'd not been brought up as being vegan. So there was that challenge and that transition, but you know, slowly, slowly, and my son is now seven and we're an entirely vegan family. So, you know, we hear that all the time that I want to be vegan, but my family is not, how am I going to navigate that? So there are ways of doing it and we have to be compassionate and we have to be kind and it may not happen overnight so you know that that was a journey for me and I I think you know looking back it it was a difficult one for me for a while but now I'm at this end you know I feel extremely happy and lucky to have a very supportive family for, for me my discussions with my colleagues they're always difficult um, or, or they, they have been in certain circumstances. You know, I have been described as the angry vegan when, you know, we, I think I'm just discussing things on a general level. So you, you do come across that uh, a lot as we all have, you know, this is not, I'm not unique in that. Um, but uh, overall it, it, it's been very interesting, but I would say that the most important thing I have found in um coping with those challenges, challenges are edu educating myself. That really is the single most important thing to do. And educating ourselves on the moral questions, uh, how you answer people and educating yourself on the health questions. That really is so key to it all. Absolutely. And, and thank you for bringing that up because all of us have our own journey and, and the transition can be so different and, and in some ways challenging um, at an individual level, at the family level, you know, things are made more complex when you have children, um, you know, who weren't initially raised with the plant-based message. Um, and then when you're trying to navigate it with the extended family, um, things uh, are, are different and, and can be difficult. Um, and, and you're right about educating ourselves not only around nutrition science but also around the morality of why we've chosen this path is really important um, and I know a lot of our viewers um, are veg curious they might not be already vegan they might identify themselves as flexitarians or might be people who are hey I just want to eat healthy I, I don't know whether you know what I've been taught about dairy being a complete nutritious food is right anymore because I don't feel right when I consume it um, and, and that's exactly where this wider movement of lifestyle medicine, which I know, you know, uh, both of you are uh, a part of, uh, you know, in, in the world and in your uh, respective countries, that, that it becomes really important because as doctors, when the message comes from you, um, it holds a very different type of importance, you know, for persons um, and, and there's authority in that message. Um, so how does your work in plant-based nutrition really fit in with um, your current practice uh, 
um, as a hematologist, uh, Shireen, and as a radiologist, um, uh, uh, Zara. Shireen, uh, why don't you go first and tell us about how does, you know, how, how do you bring the two together? Is it even possible? Yes, thanks for asking. And yeah, it's so possible because the, the um, problems I face for my patients are that not only are you trying to treat um, lymphoma, so cancer of the lymphatic system, not necessarily lifestyle related, um, not necessarily preventable, but what each and every one of my patients um, has um, is some other chronic underlying condition, you know, the commonest ones that are prevalent in our society today, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, you know, pre-diabetes or diabetes or known cardiovascular disease, um, you know, carrying unhealthy, unhealthy amounts of um, body weight, fatty liver disease. So these illnesses are present in my patients and that makes my life a little more tricky than it needs to be and um, because people tolerate treatment less well have greater side effects and the longer term outcome is negatively impacted by having these chronic health conditions so it really is a teachable moment when i meet my patients it's difficult it's a challenge and you have to meet people where they are you know people have to be ready to take on this information so i can't um, suggest that i'm successful in every case but there is the opportunity to plant a seed for healthy plant-based diets and lifestyles. And, and we're very lucky in the cancer space. As you know, the World Cancer Research Fund guidelines clearly state that a healthy um, diet for cancer prevention and for surviving well after cancer involves eating a diet that is centered around fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes. And so I'm able to give that information and then hopefully some, you know, helpful um, tips for the individual patient that's relevant for them in their social and cultural context and taking on board their financial constraints too. Absolutely. And, and have you um, encountered any situation, you know, where you're consulting with a patient and, and the patient's like, you know what, doc, I, just give me the pill. Just just tell me what surgical intervention I need. I couldn't be bothered with lifestyle change. How, how do you deal with those situations? Yeah, I mean, I think people are very receptive to this information. It's not that um, they can't be bothered or don't want to give it a try, but there are, you know, there are real challenges. Um, you know, the area that I work in London is a real mix of those that have and those that have not. There's a migrant com community, people who are worrying about housing that will lose their job because they can no longer turn up to work because they're having chemotherapy at the hospital um so you know those, those are the challenges i mean there's never any resistance to understanding that eating more fruits and vegetables are healthy you know people know this in, intuitively so it's not a surprise for them to hear obviously talking about things like eggs and dairy and you know making more healthful swaps is a bit more challenging but i i think it's the sort of um systemic sort of social and cultural context um that that make things challenging right okay thank you for that um zara how about yourself radiation oncology you know people come to you when when they're desperate i guess you know almost and there's cancer and and, and we know cancers can be sometimes very aggressive and and you know surgical interventions are important radiology and, and all of those things um how do you talk to them about lifestyle changes I, I talk to all of my patients, really, or the majority of my patients about lifestyle measures at the time that I see people as a new patient. So I, I actually add on an extra 15 minutes to my consult. Um, I, I usually go over because I talk so much. Um, but 
you know, it's a really teachable moment and people are asking for that information. As Shireen says, you know, people are receptive. I, of course, there are people who are not going to be receptive and you hope that you're planting the seed in those circumstances. And, you know, when the time is right for them, they will uh, come back to that. Um, so I, you know, I, I talk to my patients um, because I, I think, and I tell them, I think lifestyle measures are just as important as the conventional treatments that we're talking to you about. We never do either or, it's never instead of the conventional treatments, but it is equally important because we know that 40% of our cancers are caused by our lifestyle choices. And not only that, but unfortunately, if you've had one cancer, you are at higher risk of developing a new cancer mm -hmm. above the general population. Um, you are, so so that that piece is important. So we we know that lifestyle measures can reduce the incidence of cancer. We know that pursuing good lifestyle measures can help you tolerate the side effects of treatment, improve your quality of life, improve your mood and anxiety symptoms and depressive symptoms. And we know that in survivorship, that undertaking those healthy lifestyle measures can reduce your risk of cancer recurrence, can help improve your outcomes. We also know that that advice that we give is the same for reducing the risk of any chronic disease. Yeah. And unfortunately, we know that Chronic diseases, having a chronic disease increases your risk of getting cancer. Having chronic disease increases your risk of dying of cancer. Yeah. And our treatments also induce these uh, problems as well. You know, our chemotherapies and radiation can increase your risk of heart disease. But the advice is exactly the same. I mean, that's the beauty of it, that, you know, eat a healthy plant-based diet. And as Shireen says, you know, our international cancer guidelines state that, have, have a diet that is rich in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, uh, nuts and seeds, and maintain a healthy body weight, do some physical exercise, avoid risky substances, you know, don't smoke. We have we have big uh, anti-smoking programs within the cancer center. Yeah. Tell our patients, alcohol is a class one cancer causing agent. You know, that message is not getting out there, but, you know, and my patients who have breast cancer are always surprised when I tell them that, you know, about 8% of all breast cancers are caused by alcohol use. And people yep. don't know that. So it's a great moment to teach them. And we talk about, you know, how good sleep and stress management is so important during this time. So I do take that time. And it, it is only 20 minutes. I don't have resources. Shireen doesn't have resources to then help people on that journey any more than that. Um, I have Michelle, the co-founder of Plant-Based Canada, who's a plant-based dietitian who I refer my patients to if they want further information. And we have written resources to point them to. Um, so most people are really receptive. Most people are asking for that advice. And I also find that people are so grateful for it and you can see their anxiety levels come down. Okay. So even when I'm speaking to someone and, and I can feel that barrier when I'm talking about all the standard treatments, and I'm thinking, you know, do I take extra time to speak to this patient about this or, or do I let, let them go because they're just not clearly not wanting to be here? Right. But when I do, I see that anxiety level come down. It, you, it, it's a different, it speaks to a different part of, of people and they feel, I hope they feel some hope because it gives them some power back as well. 
Exactly, because when you're, um, you know, it's, it's just bad enough when you have that diagnosis and, you know, people have to process that. Um, and then when you start talking about surgical interventions and, you know, all these pharmaceutical things and, you know, what, when to take this pill or that pill, what might be the side effects of some of the um, things that people are asked to take, it can be quite a lot to navigate and, and people kind of shut down at that point in time. Uh, but when you guys, both of you give time, keep aside time to talk about plant-based nutrition, as you mentioned, uh, Zara, it does feel very empowering. It feels like, okay, I can go back and I can do something starting right now, um, which is uh, not going to harm me. I mean, and, and, uh, uh, let, let me give it a shot. So I'm, I'm glad that your patients are receptive. Um, how has the pandemic impacted uh, the receptivity to this message amongst your patients? Cheering. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously life has become so much more difficult in the pandemic. You know, um, those that um, were already struggling to um, afford healthy foods, um, things have been made even more difficult. Um, you know, people are trying to juggle keeping their jobs and navigate treatment. Um, but I, I don't think, you know, people are less receptive to hearing this information, I guess, implementing it and getting that social support we all need to um, make um, these healthy habits durable has, has been a bit more difficult to, um, you know, um, uh, get going. You know, we ask our patients to come with, with only one you know, um, a relative or friend and, um, you know, visiting to the hospital is very much limited. So th those sort of things where you have that social support, I think people are missing out on. And, you know, people's moods, you know, obviously mental health has deteriorated for, for a lot of people. And, and I'm, I'm sure the cancer community has suffered even, even more than those without um, cancer. So I think those are all sort of pot potential sort of negative predictors of being able to take on new healthy habits and behaviours and maintain them but you know having said that there has been um some some great sort of media um coverage on how healthy habits and diets are important i mean albeit not enough into action and the but the uk government has recognized um the issue around you know food security um healthy um food choices and and trying to support um citizens in general to to make these healthy choices yeah, and, and that's incredibly important, you know, for governments to increasingly realize that there is a lot that they can do, um, you know, to make life easier. Uh, and But there's one thing that you guys have done. You've actually written an awesome book, and I can't wait to actually bring it up on the screen for our viewers to see. Um, here is the book. It's Eating Plant-Based Scientific Answers to Your Nutrition Questions. What motivated you to write this book? Uh, well, I'll, I'll go first then. Um, well, I guess for me, it comes from, you know, over um, nine years now of um, having to answer these questions for myself, for my patients, for colleagues, as founder of plant-based health professionals, as um, you know, course facilitator at Winchester University, the same questions keep coming up again and again. And it, we just thought, I thought it would be great to have a resource that really sort of does a deep dive into the common questions, provides the scientific evidence, um, to provide also reassurance to everyone who's looking to um, shift towards a plant-based diet, 
or for already vegans and already those on a plant-based diet to reassure them and empower them in their own education and advocacy to, to spread, the, spread the message. Um, as you know, I write a weekly blog and I've been doing that for over two years, you know, delving into the science that keeps coming out, um, new papers every week. Um, I, I review four or five papers every week and, you know, the science hasn't changed. It hasn't changed for decades and it won't do, you know, all the evidence is pointing to um, focusing on healthy plant foods as the basis of any healthy diet pattern. And for myself and Zara, you know, 100% plant-based is the only option when you take into account um, the planet and the animals. And we wanted to bring that level of reassurance to um, readers and those curious that you really can thrive, not just survive, but thrive on a plant-based diet. That's such an important message that you can't just survive. And, and this is not even about being deprived because, you know, initially when you start talking to people about, hey, I, I eat plants. What? Do you not eat this, that, that, and that? And like not even oil? Like I, I'm a whole food plant-based oil-free vegan, you know, if you like. And, and then people are like completely flummoxed. They're like, I don't know how you eat on a daily basis. So you're you're absolutely right. This is this is not just about survival. It's about thrival, and and we we are thriving, uh, you know, individuals because of this. Zara, what was your reason, you know, and and who came up with this idea? Did did Shireen just call you up and say, hey, you know, I've, I've got all these amazing ideas. I got to put it together in a book. Let's do this. How did it happen? But Divi, that's exactly how it happened. So as Shireen said. You know, for two years, she's been doing this, you know, this uh, weekly look at the plant-based nutrition news. I don't know. I don't think there are many people who know the plant-based literature as well as Shireen uh, does. So when she, um, you know, this is totally her idea. And when she asked me if I wanted to join her in the journey, I was very honored and uh, happy to come and support her as, as much as I as, as I could. Um, and the reason we chose the question and answer way was because that was that was the uh, learning tool that speaks most to us. And um, we had been totally um, changed in our, our viewpoints by Gary Francioni's book, Eat Like You Care, which was in the question and answer format. So that really spoke to us. And as Shireen said, it was it was our lived experience. It was really easy to come up with the, the questions uh, as it is for most uh, vegans, because we get it all the time. Right. And, and why is it important for us to get scientific answers? You know, because a, a lot of the times people are like, you know, science, if, if science had to change things, um, people would, we, we would all be walking around with washboard abs and, you know, bikini bods or something. But people read books and, you know, they, they don't, uh, because they're so emotional about when they eat. So we need emotional answers to nutrition questions. But why, why scientific answers? Well, I, I think as health professionals and, and scientists, you know, I've done a PhD. I mean, we value that rigor that goes into creating the scientific knowledge. And, you know, the scientific method is well researched. Um, and you just need to know how to pick out the key points and, you know, understand the flaws or the greatness of particular um, papers um, and bring together different elements of um, the literature and um, different types of studies to create um, that 
certain knowledge and most of what we've written about is certain um you know we 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 write about the dilemmas about oil and no oil but those are just little small bits around the edges that doesn't take away from the main message um and i think you know if you're if you're not sort of used to to understanding scientific literature or, or knowing how science works you can really pull out any paper from the internet and find an answer to a question in the way that um, you know reinforces your own beliefs or, or choices. But um, I think what we've done is bring together different types of studies, um, you know, observational, randomised, um, mechanistic, um, that really tell the story of how we just do not need to eat animals or any aspect of um, uh, animals, whether it be their milk and their flesh, honey, etc., to, to to thrive. You know, we're omnivores. Um, um, we're opportunistic omnivores, as people say. We have a choice, and now many of us, um, certainly the three of us, are in a privileged position where we can make that choice that is kinder and more compassionate without compromising anything, um, yeah. but perhaps even improving our, our overall health. And, and who's this book for? You know, because a lot of the times when people think about science and they think about people with advanced degrees and doctors like yourselves, um, can a regular person, can our viewers, moms, you know, soccer moms, you know, can can they just uh, pick it up and learn something from there? Are there any recipes or you know, what what? How have you packaged all this information that can be pretty daunting for a lot of people? So it's for anybody who has an interest. So it's for the public, it's for health professionals who are meeting people every day in their practice now who are asking questions about the plant-based uh, lifestyle. Um, it, it doesn't have any recipes, but it's in, we're hoping that the question and answer format is a, is a more simple way um, to get the knowledge. And it, it has 14 chapters. Um, there's a, a general chapter at the beginning and then there's a chapter on meat and then one on fish and eggs and dairy and then nutrients of concern and specific uh, questions that come up all the time. So we hope we've made it accessible in that sense. And where can people get it from? So it's uh, available on pre-order from bookdepository.com. Okay. Um, which is probably the cheapest uh, one. I think Foils has it for a similar price in the UK. It's also on for pre-order on Amazon, but at a higher price. And the book depository has worldwide free delivery. Okay, so it's book depository and it's also on Amazon. And Foils and Waterstones in the UK also have it on their websites. Okay, this is awesome. And by when can people hope to receive it? January 20th is the release date. Okay, that is perfect. I have just added that to our banner so our viewers can have a look at this. This is your new book that's just out, Eating Plant-Based Scientific Answers to Your Nutrition Questions. Um, as Zara and Shireen explained, there are different topics. It's in a Q&A format. You do not have to be a licensed healthcare professional to be able to understand this book. So I highly recommend, please get your copy today and you can pre-order it on bookdepository.com or on amazon.com. And um, there are a couple of other extra places where, you know, it, it's also available on, in the UK. Um, so tell me, what can the readers um, 
you know, expect, uh, well, you've mentioned uh, about the chapters and, and about um, different ingredients and different food groups and, and so on. Can the readers expect to understand and receive this information in a way that if they're vegan already and, and they want to go and talk about it to others, can, can, they, can this be used for effective advocacy? I, I guess that's what, that's what the question is. Absolutely. That was the whole point. This was the book that we wanted to read. Uh, when we started our journey, we would have loved to have this. You know, I know Leila always says that about her book that she edited with my father. That was the book that she wanted to read. And that's exactly uh, the thing that we say about this book as well, because um, it, it has all the information you need to advocate to others, to have confidence for yourself that you're doing the right thing as well, that you have confidence that you're doing the right thing for your family as well, for your children um, yeah. as well. And, and since you bring up Layla, who's a dear friend, you know, I, I have to bring up this family picture. I mean, th this, you guys are a fabulous family. And uh, we've had Layla before on the show. This is the book, um, you know, that you just referred to, uh, Zara, Rethinking Food and Agriculture. And I think that between these two books, you've got the complete guide for effective advocacy. You know, um, you can talk about... Uh, uh, Food and agriculture, you can talk about nutrition science and, and get scientific answers to how you're eating. And, and of course, uh, the work that you're doing, both of you in, in your respective you know, countries with respect to plant-based eating. Um, so uh, Zara, my next question is for you. Would you say that the Canadian dietary guidelines are supportive of a plant-based diet? Absolutely. We have one of the best guideline, dietary guidelines in the world, country-specific guidelines in the world. Okay. Um, it was uh, updated in 2019. It's very evidence-based. Uh, they didn't allow the usual uh, lobbyists to come in and influence the guidelines. So uh, this, this was something quite um, unusual, and it allowed for this very evidence-based guideline. So if you look at the plate, it is uh, mostly plants. Um, half the plate is fruits and vegetables, a quarter is whole grains, and a quarter is protein, of which they say very specifically, you know, emphasize plant proteins over animal protein. So it's at least 87.5% um, plants. It has taken dairy out as an essential uh, food group. Um, so that's, that's huge. Um, there was a lot of you know, the meat and dairy industry, which have a lot of power here in Canada, there was quite the, the backlash. There's a lot of articles in the in the newspapers and, um, you know, you know, it, it's great. It's a fabulous guideline. The difficulty is it's not really translated into everyday practice still. Um, but it was a huge step forward, definitely. Yes, I do remember when, um, you know, the Nutrition Canada came out with, we're not going to include dairy anymore. And and out here in the United States, we were like, wow, this is awesome. Like USDA, wake up. We, we really, really need you guys to pay attention. This is what your neighbor's doing. So, so Shireen, what do you feel about the UK's uh, population dietary guidelines? How do you think they compare to, um, you know, how Zara just described uh, the Canadian guidelines to be? Yeah, so we have the Eat Well Guide that came out in 2016. And actually, it's not so bad. Um, when you flick up the, pe the, the poster again, you'll see that two thirds of that plate, the green and the yellow, 
are all plant-based foods. They're fruits and vegetables and whole grains and uh, you know starchy vegetables. There's that blue section um, there that is for dairy, but clearly states dairy alternatives without sort of suggesting one or the other. And that pink bit is um, protein. And it clearly says in the small print that we can't read right now, says choose plant proteins and beans as your preference. So it's really not so bad, but we have a problem worldwide, I think, that dietary guidelines are just not implemented it's that implementation step you know so um there's quite clear studies showing that if the nation ate as per the eat well guide our health would be so much better and our environmental footprint would be better so it, it's not bad um and it's very adaptable to um, a plant-based diet and that's what we did as as you know part of our work at plant-based health professionals was just sort of veganize it and it was totally straightforward um you know it, it wasn't that difficult we just had to add the you know the b12 and um you know considerations for iodine because of course dairy is the main source of iodine in the uk we don't iodize our salt um so it is hugely adaptable for a vegetarian and also a vegan diet so i don't have great problems with it of course the next guide i would hope would not feature at all any dairy would um you know make a point of um noting the unsustainability of uh, fish consumption and and really um uh, it, it tells citizens not to focus on animal sources of protein at all it really is not necessary um but you know if we got a step closer to that i think we would all be doing so much better Right. Absolutely. We're inching towards a plant-based future and, and, you know, that's how it's going to be. And I know that you guys have actually put together something called the Eat Well Guide. I'm just going to bring it up and I'd love for you to talk to me a little bit about this. Yeah. So as I say, it's just a plant-based version of our UK Eat Well Guide. We just called it the Plant-Based Eat Well Guide. And as I say, it's really, really adaptable. That blue section now that did include some dairy in the um, original version is just now um, dairy alternatives such as um, soya or um, pea um, or oats or whatever your choice is for your um, plant-based um, beverage um, that replaces dairy. Um, and then, you know, in the protein section, we emphasize healthy sources of protein, which is beans, nuts, seeds. Um, and as I say, emphasize getting plant sources of omega-3 fatty acids that most people are used to getting from fish, but we know are easily obtained from seeds such as flax seeds and um, linseed, sorry, linseeds, the same thing, flax seeds, hemp seeds, chia seeds, um, and also um, walnuts and even soya is a good source of omega-3 fatty acids. Um, can make Taking consideration about how you're going to take get your B12 um, and your iodine and obviously vitamin D for the whole nation, probably all year round looking at uh, yeah. our sun exposure. Right, absolutely. And, and you, you both mentioned about how even though these national dietary guidelines are more or less there. I mean, they're starting to call out things, even though in fine print, choose plant-based alternatives. And obviously, Canada is leading the way, um, actively choosing to remove dairy from their guidelines. Um, but you mentioned the implementation part and, and things that are missing. So what do you think are the barriers um, against adoption of um, either an entirely plant-based diet or a plant-forward diet and really implementing what the government says that we should be eating. 
well, I'll, I'll have a go at this for the UK first. I mean, I think, you know, the government say one thing, but then actually do not implement it themselves. So it's literally all the way from farm to fork, we have the problem. If you think that uh, of the fact that um, over 70% of farmland in the UK is dedicated to producing food from animals, um, be it meat, or dairy, um, uh, these are foods in inverted commas that are not required, are harming us um, health-wise and planetary health, yet we are producing too much meat that we can export and we are only producing enough fruits and vegetables for about 20 to 30 percent, um, you know, uh, uh, compared to wanting to pr produce 100 percent and be self-sufficient, which we used to be not so long ago. So we really need to flip our farming system if we really are going to put into practice um, what we should be preaching. I mean, we can't be producing food on the one hand that is not necessary, that's harming us and um, yet be telling to telling people to eat things and eat products that we we have no capacity to actually provide. So, I mean, that's first and foremost for, for me in terms of how the UK needs to move to a part forward um, uh, food system. I'm not saying I've got the solutions or answers to this, but until we recognise that it's completely upside down with production. Um, and then it comes down to you know, what we're serving in, in public institutions at these teachable moments in schools and hospitals and universities, you know, that my hospital is still serving processed red meat and it's going to be a challenge to try and remove it. I mean, they've committed to it, but then actually getting rid of it is a, is a different matter. Um, and then the education system itself, you know, as we've said, health professionals are not necessarily brought up to speed in this latest science, which is the aspect that we're trying to to um, uh, address through our education programme. So, you know, just about two, three weeks ago, the UK have now got a set of um, core curriculum and competency, competencies for medical students okay. that will have to learn nutrition as part of their course. But when you actually do a deep dive into that, um, a document the only time that the the words vegan and vegetarian are used when they talk about restrictive diets and nutritional concerns <clears throat> and there was not a word about sustainability um so that made me sad because it just leaves it open doesn't it for everyone to teach um diet as as they are used to doing and it doesn't help us move forward but um i i'm encouraged um because just today actually um plant-based health professionals gave a teaching session to 80 medical students at exeter university as part of their global and planetary health module um so i think you know opposed to the nutrition and dietetics learning i think you know global health, planetary health has now become part of the core curriculum and they and that group of individuals are much more open to talking about plant-based diets as sustainable diets. Um, I've kind of gone slightly off track here, but you know, we've been um, instructed by um, organizations like the International Association for GPs and also the Eat Lancet Commission that healthcare professionals are key to implementing these sustainable diets. So, you know, coming back to the barriers, it's kind of educating ourselves as health professionals and then being confident to support um, individual patients communities um, and policymakers um, to do the right thing. Um, so all the way from farming down to individual choice with education um, in the middle needs to change.
Right. And, and you mentioned farm, uh, you know, farm to fork. Right. So it's, it's one thing if the food policy is a certain way um, or government guidelines are a certain way. But if the farm to the folk, the supply and the demand variables are not looked into um, and, and education uh, across all points, uh, you know, on the spectrum, looking at educations for nutrition professionals and medical health professionals and also students, uh, you know, in medical schools. And, and uh, congratulations, you, you uh, spoke about the Exeter, you know, university and the students over there. And you, you've, you've found that when we talk about planetary health uh, and, and global sustainability, that group and, and those, um, you know, groups tend to be a little bit more open towards plant-based diets. Um, and, and, I, and I sometimes even think that the word diet might be um, might not be right because it's a lifestyle choice. You know, this is a lifestyle um, that that can uh, check so many different boxes beyond just one's own health. Um, Zara, the same question to you. Um, and and you did mention about um, you know the farmers' protests and when the Canadian guidelines chose to uh, uh, you know obviate or omit dairy. What were the barriers? What was the type of backlash that you saw that happened? And, and what are some of the continued barriers for implementation? So it's really, as Shireen says, it's all society. You know, from from the government level, we're still, they're still subsidizing the meat and dairy industries to millions and millions a year. And um, the education piece, our health professionals are not educated. Uh, so all of the things that Shireen has said. Um, specifically in in Canada, I can give you a couple of examples. I mean, certainly all the adverts on TV from the dairy industry are all about it's, it's this greenwashing of of animal agriculture going on at the moment. And um, one other example we had was just uh, end of last year. We found out that uh, TVA, which is the TV Ontario, it's a publicly funded um, organization uh, in Ontario. Uh, had joined forces with the dairy farmers of Ontario. So they're getting into education and getting into the classrooms and uh, they had, so TVO was now promoting the dairy farmers of Ontario education. Um, so, you know, we, we looked at it and of course they, they've got the Canada Food Guide. They've taken out the water, which has replaced milk on the picture. And, you know, they're talking about dairy and you know, we were so horrified at this. So they're just kind of, you know, as they've done for many years, getting into the classrooms, they're now doing it online in the time of COVID and all these adverts, etc. So we we did actually, you know, we wrote to the TVA. I got a lot of health professional signatures on there. We got ourselves on CTV News, National News Channel, through one of my plant-based Canada team members, actually, who's a CTV News producer. Um, and eventually, you know, the partnership has ended. Uh, we can't get an answer as to why that ended but we're hoping that some of our advocacy has something to do with it yeah. um but you know these are the things that we have to battle against because it's at all levels and the level of misinformation that is out there our newspapers you know putting out the stupid stories just like they do all over the world about you know children's health and not getting enough this for brain health and blah blah um so you know combating that with education is, is so key but and, and as Shireen is doing as well, trying to influence policymakers, you know, we're trying to do that at all levels. In in Canada now, there is some cause for excitement, I think. Um, we have a small but passionate and growing group of lifestyle medicine practitioners. Uh -huh. um, you know, I've 
been lucky enough to be on the working group of um, the lifestyle medicine practitioners who have just uh, just uh, a couple of months ago formalized themselves into the Canadian Medicine Lifestyle um, Canadian Lifestyle Medicine Advocacy Group, uh, a member interest group of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which is of course the flagship organization for lifestyle medicine globally. Um, and you know, we've started to talk about, or that group has started to talk about lifestyle medicine interest groups in the medical schools and in the residency programs. So we're we're trying to get into the education system through that. Um, and you know, there's a lot of plant-based health professionals now growing. That we have an amazing lifestyle medicine practice in BC called the Aroga Group, which is just just for lifestyle medicine. They're expanding across the country. We have individuals having lifestyle medicine practices. There's, there's a long way to go, but we're starting to see some really great changes, and you know, gives us cause for hope. Guelph University are in the process of developing their first plant-based nutrition course. That's the only plant-based nutrition course I know of in Canada. Um, so we're seeing changes gradually. Right. And, and, and Zara, there's an added complexity, uh, of course, with the culinary tradition in Canada with, you know, French Canada and Quebec, um, you know, being very dairy orientated. Um, I, I rem I'm reminded of a book that a Harvard sociologist, I think she's still writing it and it's about to come out. And, and they're talking about a comparative um, narrative about uh, cultures that are resistant to plant-based change. Um, and, and they mentioned Israel, the United States and France, France being the most resistant and Israel being least resistant and then the US being somewhere in the middle. And uh, could you comment a little bit around the lifestyle medicine movement or the plant-based movement or vegan movement as it may be, you know, in, in the French part of your country versus uh, the, uh, the Anglophonic Canada? And, and if you've observed any differences in uh, barriers against adoption or, or none at all, I, I might be totally inaccurate about this. Um, yeah, I, I can count on one hand the lifestyle medicine practitioners from Quebec. Um, who are promoting plant-based nutrition, but uh, I don't know if that's because I'm only getting a, a small view of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, recently PCRM had reached out because they wanted French speaking people for their educational activities. And we were able to find them a couple of uh, French speaking um, Canadians for that. So, but yeah, small numbers. Yeah, so, so those challenges uh, continue on, but because of the amazing work that Zara, you're doing in Canada and with Shireen, what you're doing in the UK, there is hope. And, and thank you so much for writing this awesome book. Uh, the book is out, everybody. I highly recommend getting a hold of um, Dr. Shireen Kasim and Zara Kasim's book. It's called Eating Plant-Based, Scientific Answers to Your Nutrition Questions. Um, thank you so much, uh, Shireen and, and Zara. Uh, I have uh, you know, another person who's actually just joining us for the last uh, you know, four minutes uh, of our conversation. Um, I'm adding her to the stream. I think Katie's right here with us. Um, Katie, hello, where are you joining us from? Hi, uh, thank you so much for having me, Vivi. Um, and it's very nice to meet you all. Um, I'm here in Tacoma, Washington. 
Yes, thank you so much. So, so just to introduce um, to you both uh, Shireen and, and Zara and our viewers, um, Katrina Monti, uh, she is retired from the U.S. Um, Army. Uh, she's a clinical research facilitator and she's a consultant volunteer with a project called Project Gaia. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, Katie. Yeah, so thank you so much for giving me time to talk about this. So Project Gaia is a, a divinity public health research study um, that is, we are evaluating the connection or relationship between nutrition and COVID-19 incidents and illness severity. And we're really trying to um, focus some of our respondents to our surveys. This is an online survey. It's only about eight to 10 minutes or so, but we're really trying to get uh, people who are among our black, brown and indigenous communities um, to take our survey so we can hear their voices um, as well. Because as of now, some of the research studies that have come out, the, the more prominent ones um, haven't really had a, a large sample of this of these populations and we really want to hear their voices. Um, our study is um, online. It's only about eight to 10 minutes or so. It's open to U.S. residents only at this time, U.S. residents and uh, U.S. territories as well. And it's currently funded by the T. Colin Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies and Veg Fund, a well-fed world and the Versa Foundation as well. Um, we really want, especially, you know, as I said, people that are among black, brown, indigenous populations to come forward and take this survey and um, because we'll be able to discover, you know, what are what is the link between the dietary patterns um, in different communities and COVID-19 illness. Right. Thank you so much um, for that, uh, Katie. This is a very important. Clearly, it's a very important, you know, research uh project. Uh, I, I know there are some studies that have come out recently as well, talking about the correlation between, you know, dietary patterns and, and COVID-19 symptomatic severity. Um, we wish you all the best for this uh, uh, project. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and Shireen and, and Zara, thank you so much again. Um, it has been a pleasure. Is there anything, any last remarks about the fantastic book or, or the discussion that we've just had? Shireen and Zara. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Navi. Great to be able to talk about something. It's a real excitement for us. And I really hope that it will support people's education and advocacy. And we even cover COVID-19. So you might find some more information in there. <laughs> I just want to say thank you, Nivi. Uh, thank you, everyone. This has been wonderful to hang out and thank you for all the work that you guys are doing as well. well. Thank you so much for all of your work. And until next time, thank you so much, viewers, for watching Divinity Connecting the Dots. I'll see you next month. Mm -hmm.